Returning on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, so that we don't know and so we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples start started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other side, the disciple had outrun Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked into the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw that the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth, had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. They saw and believed. They still did not understand from what scripture, from scripture that Jesus had risen from the dead. The disciples went back to where they were standing, to where they were staying. Three pounds at the door, our hearts pounding out of our chest. They found a hiding spot. Get down, shut up! We wait for the inevitable. Nothing. False alarm. Three more pounds at the door. Let me in quick, she said. We opened the door and bolted back shut. Mary, what are you doing? You're trying to get us killed, we said. He's, he's, he's gone, she said. What do you mean he's gone? I didn't stick around for the answer. I took the bolt off the door and I just bolted. Sprint into the tomb with a million thoughts sprinting through my head. John flies past and beats me there. I catch up and John's just standing there, gobsmacked. The stone was rolled over. I stoop into the place where Jesus' lifeless body lay just hours before. And now it's empty. By the clothes he was buried in, folded up tidy. It was empty. We look at each other speechless. I mean, could it? Has he done the impossible? The R word? We couldn't even bring ourselves to say it. Or we just being played, I thought. Some kind of sick joke, some trap set by the Romans, rabbis, pilot, take your pick. We didn't hang around long enough to find out. We legged it back to the hiding spot. The others opened the door and bolted it back shut. And that's just before it happened. You know, the first time. Should have seen our faces. I jumped out of my skin. Thank you, Les. So, um, welcome everybody. It's lovely to see everybody today. Um, and I just wanted to reflect, there's going to be two parts to that video. So you've seen part one uh, there and we're going to see part two um, in the second part after the second reading. Um, and um, so we, we hear a bit of the story that Gabby read there uh, about the disciples and what was happening with them um, after kind of Jesus had been crucified. And the disciples were hiding. They were scared. They'd lost their beloved friend in awful circumstances. I think they were probably in shock, scared of who the authorities might be looking for next and wondering where it had all gone wrong. From Jesus riding in triumph on a donkey into Jerusalem a week ago till now. And now this news, the tombstone had been rolled away and the tomb was empty. What did this mean? 
So many thoughts must have gone through their head at this point and they rushed to see the tomb for themselves. What might we have thought if we'd seen that empty tomb? Had the body been stolen, taken, moved? Or could they even dare entertain the possibility that there might be another explanation? From the reading in John, we see that they've not only taken the body or that the body has been removed, but they've unwrapped it and placed the burial clothes just so. We can just imagine Peter trying to figure it out. The burial clothes are neatly folded. It suggested it probably wasn't grave robbers. However, the other disciple that we're told is there looked and saw and believed. N.T. Wright describes the moment, a theologian who writes on this. The disciple remembers that moment ever afterwards. A different sensation, a bit like falling in love, a bit like a sunrise, a bit like the sound of rain at the end of a long drought, a bit like faith. The disciple he sees and something clicks. He believes that Jesus was alive again. Those early disciples saw Jesus die in the most in the worst possible way ever, in the most painful way ever. And yet there was the possibility that death had been defeated. We know that evil was at work that day, but we know that God was more powerful. The meaning of the resurrection, the meaning of the empty tomb is that Jesus is alive. He is not dead. Death could not keep him. And this gives us that eternal hope. The hope of love, conquering sin ensuring there is a life to come, that creation will be redeemed. And it all started with that empty tomb. Jesus in his life showed us what complete love was all about. Baskets that overflow with leftover fish and bread on a hillside after everyone has eaten from a boy's small shared lunch. Water that turns into the highest quality wine at the end of a wedding reception. Countless men and women who are not made to simply feel better, but healed completely. A lame man man walking, a blind man who sees. The stories of extravagant love are throughout the Bible, leading to an empty tomb that is full of good news. The good news of the resurrection is, as Paul writes to the Romans, that nothing, nothing can ever separate us from the love of God In Christ Jesus our Lord. No grief, no hurt, no anger, no mistakes, no hardship, no persecution, nothing that has happened or will happen. Jesus loves you so much, he died for you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. His love endures forever. There's a beautiful song by Bryn Howarth that people might remember. It's quite an old song now. And it's called What Kind of Love Is This? And the first verse says, What kind of love is this that gave itself for me? I am the guilty one, yet I go free. What kind of love is this? A love I've never known. I didn't even know his name. What kind of love is this? The world Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Toby, by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel of Canaan, Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, 
and two of the disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told him, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realise that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you had any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for had taken it off. For he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed it in the boat, towing a net, the net a full, full of fish, for they were not far from shore. About a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon, so Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have your breakfast, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This is now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. We told Thomas he wasn't buying it. Until a week later, it happened again. Should have seen his face. You'd think we'd known better a third time, right? After things settled down, we go back home to Galilee. So we're down Tiberia Sea, right? There's me, Nate, Tom, James, John, the Zebedee boys. It's pitch black. We're hundred yards out, fishermen, right in our sweet spot, trying to make a catch, thin and abysmally. Anyway, day's breaking and this randomer is wandering the shore. Any luck, boys, he said. Not a single sardine, we said. Try the other side of the boat, he said. So we cast our nets the other side of the boat. And what do you know? So many fish, not even math attacks could count them. It's him, said John. Well, what are we doing faffing about with all this fish, I thought. I dive straight in, splash, head down, swim to shore. I get there. And he's lit up this barbie. How'd you get on with the catch? Any joy, he said. Bring him over here. Plenty of room, he said. I look round and see the boys dragging out of the water what must have been the biggest catch I'd ever seen. Anyone for breakfast? He said. So there we were. 
stuffing our faces with fish sarnies, just staring at him. We knew it was him, but no one dared ask. After breakfast, he asked me if I loved him three times. Yes, Lord, I said. As it brought to mind the three times I flat out denied him. Look after my sheep, he said. You got it, Lord, I said. He had, you know, done the impossible, risen. One time he asked us who he said he was. You're the Christ, I said. The anointed one. The one we'd all been waiting for. The hand-picked rescuer. Still, I didn't see it coming. Not the way it played out. But it was always part of the plan. He came to bear our brokenness to his breaking point. From fully perfect to fully broken to two days later fully fixed so we can be forever fixed in him. Like I said, he'd done the impossible. Risen. And there's no denying it. That changes everything. Les and thanks Akin for a lovely reading as well. So we come back to the story and Peter's our kind of main link in the story in these two parts um, and what we see is that um, the disciples after they find the empty tomb they have to go back to their ordinary life. Um, it's a bit like what else can they do? They were probably craving a bit of normality. Perhaps they needed to earn some money and so they go fishing and day is just about to break and they hear a voice from the beach Try the other side. And I'm sure they're probably thinking, what does this person know? We've been trying for ages and no joy. Um, But they probably think, well, why not? You know, we haven't caught much. And they cast their net on the other side. Um, And suddenly they catch loads of fish. And impulsive Peter recognises Jesus and jumps from the boat and heads for shore to get closer and see what, what he thinks he can see. And the first thing that Jesus says to his dearest friends is, come and eat. For Peter and the other disciples there, it was a great opportunity to see that Jesus wasn't a mirage, but was human flesh and blood, cooking, eating, breathing, fully alive. So it is with us. Jesus wants us to recline at the table with him, to be nourished and filled, to taste and see that he is good. Jesus had made a fire, had already had brought some fish and wants to eat breakfast and share fellowship with us together. So here we have the answer to the empty tomb. Why is the tomb empty? Because Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. Jesus predicts this earlier on in the gospel, John 16. In a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will be turned to joy. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. 
I noticed today that, um, you know, a lot of the passages have been from John and on YouTube today at four o'clock, I think it's David Suchet is going to read the whole of John um, um, and has read it in Westminster um, Abbey, I think. So if you want to sort of just immerse yourself in the Gospel of John, have a look at YouTube at four o'clock today. So what a picture of resurrection. We see Jesus in the Bible as fully man, but also fully God. The picture of communion that we celebrated last week of his body being broken, of the wine symbolising the bloodshed. Jesus was fully broken on the cross, but is then fully restored. And we know from a variety of witnesses who saw him following on from that third day, he was consistently again fully man and fully God. And what does this mean for Peter and for us? For Peter, human, broken, he made mistakes. He was given that chance for restoration. Later on in chapter 21, Jesus wants to give Jesus a, a, a Peter a specific role, but he first asks him three times, do you love me? And three times Peter says, yes. And Jesus then says, feed my lambs, look after my sheep. What an opportunity to be given a second chance. Peter must have been so worried about what Jesus was going to say to him after he denied uh, Jesus three times before the cock crows. If I was Peter, I would have been terrified that, that Jesus would have said to me, you've let me down. And yet he doesn't bring it up at all. All he asks is, Peter, do you love me? N.T. Wright, again, uh, this theologian, explains that um, Jesus' words of commission to Peter are also words to us. He says, here is the secret of all Christian ministry. If you're going to do any single solitary thing as a follower and servant of Jesus, this is what it's built on. Somewhere deep down inside, there is a love for Jesus. And though you've let him down enough times, he wants to find that love to give you a chance to express it, to heal the hurts and failures of the past and give you new work to do. Love is the answer as the song goes. It sounds trite and yet I want to leave you in no doubt that God loves each and every one of you and that Jesus' death on a cross and resurrection was for each and every one of you. In John 17, we see how great the depth of God's love is for us. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. This is Jesus saying this. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. What an incredible statement that the Father God loves us the way he loves Jesus. In the message it says, But I have known you and these disciples know that you are sent on this mission. I have made your very being known to them, who you are and what you do, and continue to make it known so that your love for me might be in them exactly as I am in them. So what an amazing thought that Father God loves us the way he loves Jesus. And that when Jesus prays um, to God to love us with the same love he has been given, his prayer is perfectly in alignment with the heart of our Father. God is not an angry taskmaster who shows affection only when you succeed. He loves you and allow his love to heal, transform you and free you. 
So what does the empty tomb and the risen Jesus mean to you this resurrection day? For some of you, it might be about the power of God that defeats death and sin. For some, maybe the hope of eternal life, an end to despair. For some, just thankful of a chance to be forgiven. And there may be others of you that have have different thoughts that sort of God is putting in you at the moment. But for me, I think it is the picture of God's perfect love for all, demonstrated by his death and resurrection. So can you grasp the depth of God's love for you? Is there anything keeping you from receiving his love for you? And if there is, then ask uh, the Holy Spirit to give you a revelation of God's grace and love for you, particularly today. Let me pray for you. Lord, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Lord, I pray that every person here today would know the fullness and the depth of your love for them and would be able to celebrate that through your death and resurrection. We'll be able to know that there is an empty tomb and that brings good news and that the risen Lord is alive and breathing and loving us today. Lord, we pray that you would just bless us today. And if there is anybody who doesn't feel that or know that, I pray that your Holy Spirit would give them a revelation of your love and grace for them today. We ask this in your holy and precious name. Amen.